Welcome to IB Talk, the leading podcast for the insurance industry across Australia, New Zealand, and throughout the Asia Pacific region. Brought to you by Insurance Business. Hello and welcome back to IB Talk. I'm Danny Wood, News Editor of Insurance Business Australia. Today's guest has led his company's claims response to every major catastrophe in the Southern Hemisphere for more than 10 years. John Winsbury is Gallagher Bassett's Global Executive Vice President. He currently runs the International Division, where he's responsible for the strategic direction and growth of GB internationally. He's been with GB for more than 20 years and has more than three decades of insurance industry experience. John joins me now from Brisbane. Welcome, John. Hello, Daniel. How are you? Good. So let's let's go back a bit. How did you get into insurance? Oh, well, like everyone, I, I fell into it. <laughs> I started at Suncorp Insurance in Brisbane in the premium and data control department. Essentially, my job there was uh, picking, picking apart notices, renewal notices that have been sent to incorrect addresses uh, whilst I was part-time studying at university. So, yeah, that was my introduction to insurance, nothing to do with claims. It was sitting in the dark bowels of a large carrier uh, in an admin capacity and then worked my way up through the ranks from there. From there. You've obviously enjoyed it because you've been at GB now for 20-plus years. What's kept you there so long? Yeah, I've been at Gallagher for since 1998. Um, and what kept me there was a combination of two things, really. One was a sense that we were really doing well in the community, good things for the community. Even though insurance companies cop a lot of flack, the industry cops a lot of flack, the stats tell a different story. And the fact that we put you know, roofs back on homes, cars back on the road, we help people get back to work when they're injured, the, the statistics clearly tell a story that the insurance industry in general provides a really valuable service to our community. And yeah, sure, we get it wrong sometimes, mistakes that get made, but effectively that's what has kept me in the industry is that knowledge that we're actually doing good things in bad times for our neighbours, uh, the people we live in the community with. Uh, why GB for that length of time? Uh, effectively, it's the, been the culture. I mean, uh, Gallagher, it sounds strange being, I don't know what it is, you know, billions and billions of dollars of market cap on Wall Street, you know, 33,000 employees, etc. worldwide reach. It's still a family company. And, uh, you know, I've been with it for a long time. They've always looked after me, admittedly, I've had to stand on my own two feet, but that's the same anywhere you work. But Gallagher are particularly good at uh, looking after those people that wish to contribute uh, and, and be a part of the team. And uh, if I go back to one interaction back in two, oh, gee, 2004, maybe, maybe a bit earlier than that, I was in a head office in Chicago, in Itasca, a suburb of Chicago. And I was giving, given a tour of the top floor where all the top executives were and Bob Gallagher was chairman at the time. And he wandered out of his office to see who I was and ended up sitting me in his office and having a long chat 
about Australia and what was happening. And I was relatively junior at the time in comparison. And that interest that uh, he took um, in me and it just spoke volumes of the culture of the business. And that's been the same ever since. And it's why I stay here. We've already mentioned that you've led the company's claims response to every major catastrophe in more than 10 years. Do you have any standout memories from that decade? Oh, longer than that. I mean, my first job when I came into GB was Cyclone Rona and then the Sydney hailstorm, the the big hailstorm in 2000. And then we bounced out of that into the uh, HIH disaster, uh, which wasn't a natural catastrophe, but it, but it was a catastrophe um, for those of us who were around in the industry at that time. But I suppose the standout for me and validated what we do and kept me motivated in, in that space was the work that we did on behalf of Department of Housing in New South Wales during the Sydney hailstorm, where some of our loss adjusters in the field came across uh, an old lady that was living in a Department of Housing flat and she was on the top floor and the roof had gone and the only place she could live was in her tiny little one-bedroom apartment bathroom. And she hadn't complained to anyone. Um, our loss adjusters found her when they were doing an inspection of the damage and, you know, they, it was just an amazing story of getting her relocated. We moved her. She'd lived in that bedroom for like four days post the hailstorm. And we got her out of there and, and uh, got her relocated into a hotel. And she said she didn't need that. She was happy to stay there. It was just amazing. I just demonstrated to me the resilience of Aussies and, uh, and how they just get about things and don't complain. And that's been my experience through many, many tough situations. Cats is that I really still is my pride in being an Australian. Uh, and indeed, I'd extend the same compliment to New Zealanders managing earthquakes. That people are pretty tough, right? And um, they're very patient, and, and you know they kind of need to be in those environments. But that's actually motivating uh, for me because you, you tend to run into people that um, that are very grateful for the help and uh, and just want to get on with it. I think Danny, we wanted to talk about what's different in how we approach catastrophe today compared to what was happening, you know, a decade or so ago. And I think I could answer that question by uh, reiterating a point I made in, a, in an interview probably six months ago, and that is that the biggest difference I see in managing catastrophes today is this notion of occupational health and safety. Um, that it's a lot more difficult for loss adjusters uh, insurance companies, insurance professionals to get access into a catastrophe site and to evaluate damage um, because the police, for very good reasons and so on, they, they block the roads, they restrict access into the damaged areas, which then leads to further damage um, unless the SES can get in there pretty fast to get those tarps on the roofs. We, we see damage starting to get more extensive uh, because policyholders can't necessarily get back to their home to mitigate their loss, which, as we know, is a key principle of insurance. And it's one of the things that allows us to contain cost. 
uh, is, you know, quick temporary repairs. Uh, that has changed. Uh, and, and I would say there's, you know, that, that, that can be bad financially, uh, but I, I totally understand the reason um, first responders have gone that way is to make sure everyone's safe. I, I get it. But it has, it has enabled that dynamic where, where we just cannot always get into the site to, um, to erect those temporary repairs and thereby save cost. That, that, that's been probably for me a, a pretty significant difference from where we were maybe 10, 15 years, years ago. That's an interesting point. Uh, talking more generally about the challenges you're facing, what do you see as the big challenges now and, and what's changed in the last three decades that you've been in the industry? Well, I think, I think one of the big challenges for insurers is, is just really getting their head around the Royal Commission um, and the, the standard that's expected at all levels, whether it's claims handlers like us, whether it's underwriters, uh, information to the public and doing that the right way. And like I said, I have great faith in the insurance industry and, and always love being in it. Um, but I think those those changes uh, due to regulation uh, or due to the Royal Commission are a good thing, but it, it does mean we'll have to educate our people. We'll have to spend more money in that, in that space uh, to ensure our systems, processes and procedures are up to scratch and that we're providing the correct information to policyholders, uh, insureds, third parties, etc., and that's a you know should be a large focus of any service delivery platform in the insurance sector. That all kind of plays into the, the general affordability of insurance, and with claim surge events becoming more popular, or rather more frequent, um, and you know cyclones, floods. I mean, it, do you? Do you worry that it's just not possible to make some forms of insurance in certain places affordable or what can be done there? Oh, look, I'm not too concerned about that necessarily. I mean, I mean what, what we're seeing is a bit of interesting sort of incongruent data here. So, so what do I mean by that? What I mean by that is... We've seen a, a growth in the human footprint along the east and west coast of Australia. And, and both those coasts suffer from cyclones every year. So what I'm questioning is, are there more large storms than cyclones or are there simply more structures, people, vehicles in the path of storms? So, so for example, 20 years ago, uh, a large storm heading through southeast Queensland may have tracked a path that hit less buildings simply because they weren't there 20 years ago. As we see this population footprint expanding, certainly over the last 30 years, we see more opportunities for weather to affect uh, human inhabitants and structures that we've built so on. The flip side of that is if you've got more people and more houses and more businesses, you know, more infrastructure, you've got more people coming into the premium pool. So that offsets it to some extent. And I think one of the challenges for us is to ensure that we're working hard in the community to convince people that they need to buy into insurance. So the pool 
is is enabling insurance companies to continue to buy their reinsurance, um, you know, pay their claims. So they've got the, a, a pool large enough to cover the new areas of damage. And a good example of that, if you look at the 2011 floods in Brisbane, a lot of the damage occurred on floodplains where buildings didn't exist in 1974, but they did in 2011 because new housing estates and so on had got in. Now, is that global warming or is that an increase of the human footprint? And I guess maybe they're the same thing, but the other side of that is those thousand-odd houses that were there, you know, were paying insurance premiums. So I don't know. As long as, as, long as the industry works closely with government to encourage, uh, you know, the average citizen out there to insure their house properly and their car and all their other things and businesses and so on, I, I think we, we hopefully can, can contain blowouts in premium and, and therefore that whole unaffordability question doesn't get too far away from the average uh, consumer. It's an interesting issue. We, we could dwell on that a bit longer, but let's let's move on. You've also said that the biggest lesson out of the pandemic is that every employer should engage a broker and insurer. You've you've touched on that a little bit, but could you you talk about that a bit more? Well, I I just think that in in these times, businesses, you know, everything's getting more sophisticated. To my point about regulation and so on before, and things coming out of the Royal Commission. I think if you own a business and you want to run that business effectively, you know, you go and engage a bookkeeper, or a qualified accountant, or you outsource that. Why would it be any different for a, a significant cost on your P&L um, called insurance? So for mine, uh, any business owner should be engaging their local insurance broker to assist them to get the best deal uh, because it can be complex. And you don't want to get tripped up because if you're running a plumbing business, no one expects you to be an insurance expert. Uh, it, it might be different in the domestic space. So certainly, um, you know, going direct to insurers, particularly the larger ones, all makes sense. But when you're running a business, I think it's wise to get professionals to assist you to make sure you've got the correct insurance coverage. And hey, I'm not an insurance broker, but I do see better outcomes for insureds where they've got brokers that can also advocate for them in a professional way when they do, if they do, have a claim. So there's the two sides of it. It's the appropriate insurance coverage for your business. And, um, and then in the claim time, you've got, you've got that insurance professional working for you to navigate through a complex, potentially com complex claims environment. Another intriguing and interesting issue that's in the, the federal court in Australia at the moment is this business interruption test case, which is going to decide whether the policy wordings in some insurance companies' insurance policies actually cover the COVID-19 pandemic for businesses. Uh, I, I think everyone accepts that since the pandemic started, pandemic coverage has more or less been written out of a lot of these BI insurance policies. What are your thoughts on that test case and the implications of all this? Oh, God. This one's, this is kind of like, I get asked this question a lot. And it's, this may sound like a bit of a cop out, but, I, but I'm kind of going to be pretty happy with any way the High Court goes. I think it's right that it's gone to the highest court in the land, that second test case. Um, 
because that that will just make it that will just provide clarity and depending on who I'm talking to which side of the fence they're on <clears throat> depends on who's passionate what the an- what the answer is um, I prefer to sit in a space now where I'm happy for the umpire to decide and then we can adjust our processes, procedures, interactions with insureds, claimants in an appropriate way. So I know that's a bit of a cop-out, but it's just, yeah, I, I mean, it, I could see both sides of the argument. So I'd prefer to leave that there, Danny. Sorry, I know, I know that's a bit of a cop-out, mate, but yeah. That's okay. We can find other, th- other things to talk about. Uh, one of them is ESG. That seems to have really come to the fore in the last 12 months. It could just be my impressions as a, as a relative newbie to insurance. But how does ESG, I mean, how is that playing into your responsibilities and what you do in your role? Oh, well, it's wide-reaching and having significant impacts on us, how we proceed. We've always been, uh, well, for many years now, we're one of the world's most ethical companies. We take great pride in uh, the ethosphere awarding that we do a lot of hard work to achieve that accreditation every year and that comes down to transparency strong processes good governance and so gallagher well you asked me at the start of this interview what keeps me here gallagher does the right thing and so having a culture built around a strong positive ethical stance uh, gets us through a lot of these issues as regulations change from time to time and issues come up. I really like what the company is doing at the moment with regards to diversity, uh, you know, working really hard to ensure we're very inclusive and that we're that it's a constant com- conversation in the business on how we can improve. And then we think about how that translates to local communities uh, and you know, I've already talked through this interview about the fact that we're out there helping the community day in, day out in in terms of just settling their claims and getting them managed. And we're doing that appropriately in accordance with policy wording and not holding things up, doing it as efficiently and effectively as we can to get that money out into the community. Um, but, there, but there's other areas where I think Larger organisations should be helping, and at the moment, you know, we're pretty proud that we've we, we sponsored the Special Olympics, um, involved um, in a torch relay at the moment, which, which is quite um, well. It's it's pretty cool actually. It's a law enforcement t- uh, t- torch run for the Special Olympics, raises funds to support participation, engagement, and recognition opportunities for Special Olympics athletes and volunteers. That's a, that's another way Gallagher's giving back to the community. Um, so, so that environmental piece, uh, I think we've got a strong track record there. But your question was about how is it affecting us? And I think we have to absolutely keep pace with community expectations as a large corporation. And I think we're doing that. Um, I would spend, oh, gee, I don't know, probably 40% of my time totally immersed in governance issues, a lot of time in making sure that our processes and procedures are being updated, that our compliance and audit committee is effective, working well, that we're speaking constantly to our risk management committees and identifying risk and dealing with it. And and that whole 
governance piece is just imperative that organisations get that right and hold that close as a core value of their operating platform. You've mentioned a lot about all the community work that um, Gallagher is involved in. And can I, if I can ask you this question on the fly, I mean, a lot of big insurers have distanced themselves and from fossil fuels. They're not insuring coal production, or at least they're very clearly phasing out of that if they're not doing that. Does, does Gallagher Bassett follow that line as well? We haven't taken any kind of political stance there. I, I mean, and that, that's not that's not to be a cop out, but that is to say that you know we've got a long-standing relationship with ExxonMobil, where we've assisted them to deal with fuel contamination claims, and that's a direct way we're not only you know helping a large corporate, but we're also helping the community. So I, I mean, to just to abandon ship on a, on a viable you know, revenue line, but in, but in in essence, we're actually providing a valuable service around fuel contamination, for example, and cleaning that up and making sure that's right. I mean, we're helping the environment. So, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't see a need for us to distance us necessarily from anything there, but we're, we're an ethical company and we operate within policy guidelines and the code of practice um, and so on. Um, no, I don't. I don't I don't see us taking a political view there. Let, let's switch topics again. Uh, the, the big issue in the industry now is a shortage of talent. And a couple of years ago, Gallagher was expecting that the sector would attract new talent at junior levels who may have lost their job during COVID-19. Is that playing out as you expected or how do you see the, the talent shortage in the insurance industry? The combination of bringing in bright young graduates from university, bright young talent that we can train ourselves, developing training hubs in our major locations, and also uh, upskilling our leaders is helping us combat the, you know, the inflationary pressures we see, but also just a general gap in talent across the sector. John Winsbury, thanks very much for joining us on IB Talk. Oh, thank you very much, Danny. I appreciate it. And John Winsbury is Gallagher Bassett's Global Executive Vice President. He currently runs the International Division. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to IB Talk. For the latest episodes, be sure to follow us on SoundCloud, Stitcher and Apple Podcasts.